Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the first episode of the Theater Podcast in 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. Let's raise a glass to what we can only hope will be a much better year than 2020 was on many, many levels. This episode is with Frank Delella, who is the award-winning host, Emmy award-winning host, of On Stage on Spectrum News, New York One. He's another great example of someone who's been able to successfully and happily stay involved with theater and even on-camera work without directly pursuing a career on the Broadway stage. And one of the most interesting things he said to me was, even in a pandemic, there are still so many Broadway and theater-related stories to tell. Why that was surprising is because, as you probably know, there has been no Broadway for, at this point, 10 months? That's just insane. And my heart goes out to everybody. This is 2021. It's going to be good. It's going to be better. Before you get into the episode, follow me online at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can visit me on Facebook at slash official theater podcast. Visit me on the web at thetheaterpodcast.com. Help show your support for the podcast and help with some of the production costs to keep bringing these episodes to you at ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. There's some really good benefits there for you to take advantage of. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Frank Delella. Today's guest is the Emmy Award-winning host of On Stage on Spectrum News New York One, a show he has been hosting since 2004. He's the recipient of three New York Press Club Awards, and in addition to interviewing people locally, from Tom Hanks to Hugh Jackman to Patti Lapone and Lin-Manuel, he also travels internationally to cover theater in the United Kingdom, Japan, Hong Kong, Germany, even Canada. He's got a wonderful string of cameos in some amazing films playing himself, including The Prom that was just released on Netflix, interviewing Meryl Streep, by the way. Frank DeLella, welcome to the Theater Podcast. What is up? I'm so happy to be here. I love the Broadway Podcast Network, so I'm honored to be on it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I've actually, I've been looking forward to this because, I mean, you've been a a household name in the theater community for for quite some time. And I guess that's actually a really good place for us to start is you've been hosting on stage since 2004, but where were you, where were you before that? How did you get into journalism and then tie this back into Broadway theater, all of the above? Well, first and foremost, I'm going to correct you quickly. I started interning at on stage in 2004, but, um, oh. But th- but thank you for all those years because you know you just make the best publicist. So I may have to uh, chat with you off air about <laughs> hiring you to to beef me up a little bit. But um, <laughs> you know, before all of this, I actually um, you know I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Uh, always loved the theater as a kid. Um, my earliest memories of going to the theater were with my mom and my grandmother and just fell in love with it at a very, very early age. 
And um, as I grew older, you know, my, my folks would take me to New York City and I immediately fell in love with this city and moved here for college in 2002 and never looked back, as they say. I, mm-hmm. I, I stayed here. I went to school at Fordham University at Lincoln Center, um, right in the heart of it all. So, you know, uh, I felt connected to the community and that's kind of where my journey began. Well, okay, so it's a personal journey and and the connection. I mean, theater is family. When you're doing when you're in a cast, when you're performing, you're going through uh I've I've equated this to a form of trauma in other episodes of just the intensity of of rehearsals and working out these problems and when you're when you're developing a show just sometimes the literal years of working in the same room with the same people, you get to know them so well. Totally. Uh, right. So so you feel connected to these people, but were you originally, was your path um, sort of going towards towards performing or or anything on the creative side? Yes. I mean, like many of us who moved to New York City, my, I had hopes of, you know, getting here, auditioning and, you know, starring in a Broadway show two or three years in. That did not necessarily happen. But um <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I grew up doing theater. Uh, I always say um, my mom chose the grade school that I went to because every year uh, they would do a big, splashy spring musical. And we're talking, you know, big, big musicals. This was long before they did the junior abbreviated versions. We're talking the full-scale musicals of the sound of music and once upon a mattress and the music man and they, uh, the, the music teacher who kind of created the program would hire the musicians who would play all the national touring houses in Philadelphia. And, you know, they would bring in these incredible artists to design the sets and they would rent our costumes. So like that was, that was my childhood. And then when I went to high school, I went to an all boys prep school. So I would do the theater program there. And then I had, we had a sister school where, where the girls went and I would do the musical there. So like, you know, I was immersed into the world of theater. I want to say from like six, seven years old, all the way up, you know, and that we're talking dance classes, voice lessons, piano lessons. Um, and of course some kind of production here or there, you know, I would say nine to 10 times, nine to 10 months out of the year. Wow. Okay. So then you get to New York uh, and uh, where did you go to to college here? Fordham University. At Fordham, right? Center. Okay, so you were you're you're heading towards the performing path, and then, I mean, at what point do you start interning, right? But uh, at what point, I guess, do you get out of the mindset of I'm going to be on stage as a performer to I'm going to cover this, I'm going to I'm going to be a journalist. Like, was journalism? ever in the back of your mind or did you just sort of fall into this? So I was an odd kid growing up. I loved theater and um, my go-to TV shows were Dateline NBC and America's Most Wanted. <laughs> Analyze that. A natural combination. Analyze yeah. that if you will. 2020 <laughs> as well. Um, so I always toyed with in the back of my mind, you know what, if the theater thing doesn't work out, I would love to be you know, a TV presenter of sorts to tell long form stories. I love CBS Sunday morning. I love long form news magazine features. Like that is exactly what I love watching and just kind of analyzing. So 
I started in the theater program at Fordham early on, um, you know, in my class, Taylor Schilling was there and, um, a guy who, who makes, um, a lot of appearances here and there in Broadway shows, Van Hughes and my friend Kelly Curran, who's a well-known off-Broadway, um, and Broadway actress who just, um, has, is, is kind of like transitioning into the TV world. So, Needless to say, it was a very small program and a very talented class. And I knew early on that if I was going to survive in the city, um, they these folks were super talented. I was lacking uh, just a tad, I would say. <laughs> so I had to figure out a plan B. And uh, to be completely honest with you, around my sophomore year of college, I took an intro to media studies class. My professor said to me, um, you know, for those of you who have ever wanted to be a reporter, you are going to probably have to go to the middle of nowhere to start out. That is kind of like the path. And that back in the day was the path for getting on air. Um, mm. Start out in a very um, small market and then work your way up. New York City being market number one, L.A. being market number two. And he said, if you're lucky enough, though, try and get an internship at New York One, because in New York One, it's very hands on. And you can really immerse yourself into the world of broadcast and you can, you know, dabble into editing and news production and even build a reel there and start your career here in New York City. You don't have to move. For me, that sounded like a dream because the idea of leaving New York City was, you know, out of the question. I was not leaving the city that has forever felt like home for me. Around that time, I had auditioned for the gallery players. I can't believe I'm telling the story because I've never told the story. Around that time, I was auditioning for the gallery players' production of Hair. And I got a couple callbacks for the role of Claude. And I also got an interview at New York One for their internship. We're into the summer before my junior year. I said to myself, Frank, whatever happens, that is the path you're going to take. If you get the role of Claude in Hair, you're going to continue to pursue acting and you're going to go down that road. If you get the internship in Eric one, you're going to continue with broadcast and you're going to become a reporter. Needless to say, two callbacks later, I did not get hair. I got New York one. And I was like, I'm not looking back. This is my road. That's where I'm going. And the rest is history, as they say. If you had been offered both, what would you have chosen? Oh, that's a good question. I would have probably tried to, to do both knowing me. I would, have, I, would, I would have probably have said to them, let me do this production of hair, but let me put, put me on hold for the fall semester and I'll come and do something with you guys in the spring. Huh. Yeah. Well, you don't come to... One, one does not come to a decision of like, this decision is going to change my life. Or this, this is what I'm sticking with and it's going to be my life. One mm -hmm. does not come to that decision lightly. Were, were you at that time sort of going through this existential identity crisis of I'm in New York, what am I doing here? 100%. Uh, 100%. Also, like knowing that, you know, we both know the theater world. These artists are athletes. You know, mm -hmm. this is not you show up and, you know, you're on Broadway the next day. No, I mean, these people train and train. They train in dance. They train in voice. They train in acting. And I also, I wasn't stupid. Like, you know, I grew up doing this, but, you know, my training wasn't at the level that I would be competing against other people. So I also had to be realistic, you know? Um, 
And that was something that I had to take into consideration as well when making that choice. But I have to say, being on air and being a reporter and being a journalist and telling stories similar to acting, similar to theater, you are still telling stories and you are you are a part of it. And that I always say that little fix or a high that you get when you're on stage in front of an audience, I 100% get that when I'm on air, especially, you know, when I'm doing things like hosting the Red Carpet Show for the Tony Awards, or I'm hosting events, or um, I'm doing stuff for the Olivier Awards in London, and you're in front of a ton of people. I mean, that high I got as a little kid being on stage in front of a couple hundred people, you get that too, when you're doing TV and when you're reporting or you're interviewing someone. So that fix, that high is still there. Is there is there any type of regret or not regret, maybe regret's not the right word, but is there any sort of of wondering what if, you know, in another dimension, if you believe in the multiverse, you're you're starring uh, alongside Meryl Streep in some, you know, some made for uh, uh, some movie that's been converted from Broadway. It's, it's, this is very if then of you. What if I took this path and not that path, right? Yes. yes. Um, uh, to quote uh, a Broadway show or to, to paraphrase the synopsis of a Broadway show. Um, no, I, no, I have to say I don't have regrets. You know, I don't. The crazy thing is, because I chose this path that I did choose and went down this path where, you know, I kind of created a little outlet for myself in the industry of telling these stories and being a voice for the community, these opportunities of getting to be on a Broadway stage and getting to play myself on screen, whether it's in Smash or the prom or the 40-year-old version, um, they've kind of popped up. So. I don't think I would have, I, I know I wouldn't have those opportunities if I would have gone down the other path. Well, clarify the timeline for me then, because in 2004, you started interning at New York One, or was that when you started interning on Onstage, or are they one and the same? So I started interning at New York One uh, and Onstage, which are one and the same. And then um, I interned back-to-back for three semesters. With the exception of that summer, I was hired as an assistant for one of the Broadway press offices. Uh, this press office that no longer exists called Barlow Hartman, which at the time rep shows like the original Color Purple and Sweeney Todd with Patti Lapone and um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Sweet Charity with um, Christina Applegate. So I also dabbled in the press world, seeing if being a press rep would be something that I would want to do. And I realized I like being on the other end, being a journalist and, you know, telling the stories the way that I do. And so New York One had me for three semesters in a row. And then the end of my senior year, the last semester, they asked me to be a freelancer, freelancer news assistant. So basically a freelance camera guy to go around and shoot news. So I did that while moonlighting and on stage. I would always volunteer to do stuff with on stage. Cut to the summer after my senior year, after graduation, I got hired full time as the overnight assignment editor. So what I would do is while my friends were, you know, out 
partying after graduation. I was packing up my things and going to the news station to work the overnights Thursday through Sunday. And then slowly but surely, I started doing other things. Like I started producing their New Yorker of the Week segment. And um, in 2007, the Broadway stagehand strike happened. And we were the first to break that news. I got tipped off from a friend who was in a chorus line the night before the strike took place or went into effect. And he sent me a note saying, just got out of a company meeting. The strike is on for tomorrow. We broke in with that news, beating the Associated Press and the New York Times. And my news director at the time said, Frank, you're on this story. You're going to produce it. And so I was on that story for three weeks. We were kind of like the leading station when it came to know the updates on the, the three-week shutdown on Broadway. And we were the first to break the news that the strike was over. And so then right then and there, I got promoted to being with on stage full-time and started out as a producer. That was 2008. And then started reporting for them in 09. And then now I'm hosting the show. So it's been, it's been a wild ride, but I've certainly... You know, I have to say everything that I learned along the way, all the the tools that I have now in my toolbox have certainly um, helped me with the position that I'm currently in. That's interesting. So uh, was it was it a natural progression uh, from the production team to say like, oh, this guy, Frank, he he should be the next host or was it uh, did you have to audition for that sort of role or or, you know, was it sort of. I, uh, you know, you're, you're the, the protege of something and then like they're grooming you to be the next thing. Well, I think what it's, I think the best way to put it is that, you know, I was doing and pitching and producing stories that, you know, were really coming from me and coming from my contacts. And after a while, as a producer, you're writing for other people. I think, you know, my bosses took note in that, Frank, you should be telling these stories. The, the first piece that, um, that I was allowed to go on air with was when Hair shut down um, the production for, uh, it was after their Saturday night show, they shut down the production on Sunday. The, this was the revival so that they could go and march in the Marriage Equality March down in D.C. And a friend of mine who was working on the show said, Frank, why don't you come with us? Be on the bus, stay in the hotel with us, you know, just document the whole thing. And, you know, it it was, that was an amazing moment for me just to experience in and of itself because A, it was history, but also, you know, we were down there with Lady Gaga and the cast of Hair and, you know, Stephen Schwartz and Cynthia Nixon and just the, the, people from Wicked and Gavin Creel and Audrey McDonald, like everyone was just kind of together for this one cause. And I came back and they said, Frank, there's no way we're going to let someone else tell the story. Like you experienced it. It's almost like a dear diary type situation. Like go write the story and you can, you can be the presenter. And so that was my first piece on air. That's so cool. I didn't know that. Uh, As someone who has done no journalism, and has very few journalism friends, right? The the bad news travels faster than good. I always get so so sort of uh, I, not scared. I was going to say scared, but that's not the right word. But um, cautious of oversharing, uh, I guess, to to news outlets or because 
you know, especially in this business, everything's secret and everything's gossipy and everything is this tiny, tiny little family where everybody knows each other, whether you like each other or not, you're still, you still have to be together because as big, as many people as in New York, it's still like the same group of people that you see everywhere. And how have you navigated that in your career? You seem like a super nice guy, super friendly people that I talk to that know you always say positive things. So how do you tell the truth, which sometimes is not always the best while still not alienating contacts or, or uh, making sure that you have more stories to tell because you're just not being a jerk to everybody. Well, first and foremost, you know, I also teach at Fordham university. I'm an adjunct professor. I teach arts journalism. And the one thing I always say to my students, when they ask for advice, I always say, you know, first and foremost, be kind. You know, kindness goes a long way. Say things with a smile. That is, you know, a mantra that I've kind of kept in mind for a very long time. And it's true. You know, there's no reason to be nasty. You know, be kind. But also, you know, for my position, what I do, for the most part, I want to say 95% of the material that I put on air and the stories that I tell are, for the most part, celebrating this community. So, you know, I'm not a critic. I'm not there to bash anyone. I won't, you'll never hear me bash anyone publicly. Like that is not my thing. You know, for that 5% in terms of stories to tell that are hard news and, you know, get into the more seriousness of nature. I always say, I hope that my other work speaks for itself. And at the end of the day, and I've certainly had my run-ins with people, um, in terms of them not liking what is being presented. But I, I feel like the years that I've spent in telling the stories that I've told over the years, um, my work speaks for itself. And people should know what they're going to get when it comes to me, and the truth and the honesty that goes into my storytelling. That is, that is very respectable. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to be honest. And you say... All right, so this is the story. Give me your side of it so I can tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. The first time you got to play yourself on... TV or or anything outside of you know just the onstage medium was that Smash on TV it was Smash um, on Broadway it was Mary Poppins oh what did you do in Mary Poppins they put me in so I, I've done four so weird to say I play my I no, not play my, I play myself on one Broadway show and that was the prom I I, I did the same role that I did in the movie um, for one night last year then um i've i've did walk-on roles but more of just a walk-on like they actually rehearsed me for stuff for for mary poppins newsies and les mis (laughs) um but the first time i played myself yes was smash in that when was that that was 2013 that that's cool i I, I'm curious about how that works uh, contractually, mm-hmm. the business side of it, because you're not 
at first, I assume one's not a member of equity or not a member of the union that you have to be to be on to be in one of these things. So if you're doing a one night thing for the prom, right, you just did that for one show. So how does that work? If were you equity already or if you weren't, would you have to be equity? No, I, I think it's just um, a sign off from equity that it it's a one night only situation for for the TV and film stuff. Um, I've reached the point where my next job, I have to join SAG. Um, I'm SAG. I've been SAG eligible since 2013, but, um, having done three things now, I have to join SAG, uh, for the next thing, whenever that is. (laughs) Well, I guess that's a good problem to be presented with. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you feel then? being able to reprise your role in the prom for Netflix, obviously a bit of controversy around the prom within the theater community, outside of the theater community, they don't hear about this news, but you've interviewed Beth Level on stage for the original cast. And then now you've interviewed Meryl Streep uh, for the film. I mean, is this sort of a bittersweet moment or is it just another day at the office? Like talk me through this. Well, first and foremost, I think the company of the original Broadway production, um, you know, it was just unbelievable. And I think, you know, and they're all friends of mine, and I think they all did a fantastic job. Um, I think Ryan Murphy really elevated the show to the next level in terms of getting, getting it on a platform like Netflix and getting the star power that he got. Um, I think the ultimately the important thing with all of this is the message of the prom and the fact that that message of tolerance, acceptance, inclusivity is being told on a global scale. In fact, going to places because of these stars, going to places where, you know, in some countries, in some areas, in some territories, it's still illegal to be gay. And the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, the power of Ryan Murphy has gotten this to where it has gone is just truly unbelievable. And I'm so proud. I have to be honest with you. So proud to be a small, 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 small part of this film because, um, everything it stands for, I am behind. Um, another day at the office for doing the prom film. Absolutely not. It was (laughs) a dream come true. Uh, Netflix flew me out to LA for a week this time last year. And, treating me like a movie star. It was crazy. You know, my trailer was next to James's trailer, next to Merrill's trailer. We all had stand-ins. Um, I had people watching over me. Um, I had a driver. It was, it was wild. And I had Meryl Streep as my scene partner. So it does not get any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, that's so, so cool. Uh, what about, um, like from a, again the business side of things, I'm always so curious about this. The business side of things, do do you have an agent that pitches you to do cameos for yourself? Like, how did Ryan Murphy or his team call you up and say we need you to reprise your role here? Or you know, you've got um, uh, you're on the Little Voice on Apple TV. Of course, you mentioned the 40 year old version, version not virgin, 40 year old version, the movie which is this huge Sundance Film Festival winner where you played yourself. Like, how do these calls come in? How do do they decide to do this? So I do have a manager. Her name's Pamela Cooper, and she does, you know, 
does whatever contract or fields the calls, you know, when, when they do come in. For the case of the prom, in that instance, or f- f- regarding the prom, um, I had dinner with Ryan Murphy May of last year, and it was right around the time when he was talking about doing the film version. And I just on the cameo uh, in New York on Broadway, and he told me just flat out dinner. He goes, I'm putting you in the movie. You should play yourself in the movie. And I laughed. I was like, oh, yeah, right. But <laughs> Ryan Murphy is an unbelievable powerhouse, and he is a man of his word. And in September of last year, right before my birthday, um, my manager sent me a note saying, call me right now. And I called her and she goes, um, we just got word from Ryan's casting office. They want to know your availability for the prom for October, November, and December. Um, are you completely open? I said, yes, but <laughs> I'm there. And of course. the rest is history. So that was that. And then, with the 40 year old version, which again, another film that I'm so proud to be a part of Rada Blank, the director, writer, and star of this film, you know, really it's a true love letter to New York city, very similar into what the prom is to Broadway, you know, a love letter to Broadway and its creatures and its people and the goodness that comes out of theater people. Um, 40 year old version is a true love letter to New York city and all of New York city and it's a timely film. It needs to be told now as well. And, um, you know, Rada reached out to me, I think it was through my website or Instagram and sent me a note saying, hey, um, can you send me your agent or manager's info? I want to pitch you for um, a property that I'm working on, a project that I'm working on, where you'll play yourself. And again, I thought this was this small indie film we were shooting in New York in black and white, thought nothing of it. Um, in fact, now seeing how much it's being celebrated and how great the film is, I think, I think back to the day when we shot, we shot at the signature theater. I was like, yeah, it was kind of one of those things. Like I glanced over the lines. I was like, yeah, like, this is like this little project that's being done. No, like it won, you know, all kinds of awards at Sundance. It's on every single top 20 list this year from like the New York times to the Huffington post to the, the New Yorker. Like it is, it is a real deal in terms of a New York film and film in general. So I'm so proud to be a part of that as well. And kudos to Rada Blank. I can't wait to see what else she has in store for us because she is an incredible storyteller. It's interesting. Something you said just now was uh, that she reached out and then asked immediately to be connected with your publicist or manager or agent or whatnot. And I've always wondered about that because I, I my personal connections in in the business and how I get all uh, most of my guests um, through this podcast or through my personal relationships with publicists. Yeah, because I'm that's the those are the circles I'm in, and. I have I've always toyed around with the idea of like you know as the kids say to slip into the DMs right, but I I wonder if it's just easier to say, hey, can you connect me? Would you connect me with your manager? Would you connect me with your publicist? Right? Is that the best thing people want to do if they want to get in touch with you? Uh, you, you know, I'm a very transparent person and I'm pretty accessible. So like, if someone sends me a note. Um, of course, you know, I'll loop in, you know, we're talking business here. I, w- I would loop in my manager because, you know, I run everything by her as is, but, you know, as a journalist, you know, 
I'm of the mindset that you, 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 if you're trying to get someone, you go in every direction, you hit up people who the person knows you hit up them directly on social media and you get an answer, you know, uh, in the news business, time isn't always on our side. So it's like fast and furious and get an answer. And so, um, uh, that's how I operate, but you know, others may say differently. Social media, actually, that just triggered a question for me. You, you started interning in 2004, mm-hmm. and I don't remember the exact year Facebook was rolled out. It was like 2007, I want to say, publicly, 2006 or seven. And how, how did what you knew about journalism and theater at the time, uh, you sort of started in your career right when social media was just taking everything in a different direction. Right. So how did, how would, how did, did that help or hurt you? Do you think actually? When I was in college, um, I think it was my sophomore junior year. That's when I got Facebook. It was still a university thing. It wasn't, you know, you still had to go to, to a university or a college to, to be able to sign in. Um, I am of the mindset that social media in general, if used in a proper way and in the right way, is only going to strengthen a show's brand or a person's brand and, you know, will connect you and and help you. It's certainly helped me over the years. Um, and that's that's my take on it. I know not everyone agrees. I know a lot of actor friends who still to this day are not on any type of social media platform and that's fine. But I do think, you know, if you don't obsess over it and you're not, if you don't let it consume your life, um, it could be a good thing. Do you agree with the fact with the, well, okay. Do you agree with the statement here? I won't say it's a fact. Do you agree with the, my opinion that all things being equal talent wise, the person with more social media following is going to get hired? I mean, I would hope not, but, you know, I do, again, I have actor friends, and this is more of a question for them than me, but I have actor friends and agent friends who say that, like, one of the things, you know, producers and casting directors look at now is the number of followers that person has. So, I mean, again, I have never felt that in my position, but I certainly know friends of mine on both ends on the, the decision-making side and also on the artist side have felt that. So, well, so you said you don't, you don't do that in your position. Do you mean if, if you're ju- deciding what story to run or what things to, no, I'm saying I've never, I've, I've never felt that like I've been judged on the number of followers that I have or don't have. Right. Do you know oh yeah. Mean? Well, does well. So then, that question. Then, if if you have, I mean, you only have so much time in every episode. You only have so much availability in your life to cover certain stories. How do you decide what you're covering? Does well, I guess the social media play a part in that at all. But then also, how do you decide? Yeah, I mean, well, I have a team at on stage of an incredible team of. I was going to say actors. One was a former actor, a Broadway actor, <laughs> who has transitioned into being a producer, and he's awesome um and i also have i have have multiple producers who are all awesome uh along with cody and um you know so we we have meetings each month to figure out what we're going to put on the show and 
with COVID, you know, we normally in a normal year, non-COVID year, we do a new show, a new episode every weekend. Because of COVID and the restrictions of, you know, just in general with traveling and being around each other and whatnot, we we've been doing on average a new episode a month. And speaking of social media, one of our big stories coming up next weekend for our December episode is about TikTok and how TikTok is starting to kind of trickle into the world of theater and Broadway and this amazing creation that is going to be Ratatouille, the musical. That's what I was going to say. It's more than trickled. Based off of, um, you know, some super fans on TikTok. And it saved Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, I chat with uh, one of the cast members from Beetlejuice to talk about, you know, how she has become a TikTok star. Um, Presley Ryan, of course. Yeah, Presley. Yep. Because of TikTok. And yeah, Beetlejuice. She, she exploded. I attribute much of the show's success and legacy to what she was doing just for fun backstage yeah, with the costumes and you know just kind of narrating things yeah she's pretty cool yeah that's really really cool and ratatouille i assume someone's going to want to make money off of that that's got to come to broadway in some form when we're able to return so just i guess real quick last question then we'll wrap up is is about covid you mentioned that um you were doing one one a week, you said, now you're down to like one a month. Is, is COVID helping or hurting in terms of being able to, to slow down and thought and be more thoughtful in your stories? Or are you sort of struggling to, to get out and meet people because it's more dangerous? Or, I mean, we're, we're connecting right now virtually through video chat. So how have you had to pivot and how has this affected your, your workflow? I mean, to be honest with you, I, I'm doing stories every day, not just for um, New York ones on stage, but also for the news. So um, uh, it has been nonstop. Most of my stuff is done over Zoom and, and video chats, which, of course, is safe uh, compared to or safer compared to doing stuff in person. But, um, you know. There are still people keep asking, like, you know, is it harder now not having to like, is it harder now because you don't have shows that you're reporting on or, you know, things that are happening on Broadway? And the answer is, no, it's not harder on my end because there are still stories to be told, like telling stories about how people are surviving or pivoting during this time, um, benefits that are happening there are certainly stories out there to be told and I am against, I don't want to use the word enjoy because that's not fair, but I see myself as I've always seen myself as a platform and as almost a microphone for this community to give them a voice, to help them get the word out there in good times and bad. And of course this time for the theater community is a bad time. Um, I think there will be good ultimately that comes out of this, but it's a hard time that these people are going through and my heart breaks. And again, I see myself as a platform for the performing arts and entertainment community to uh, 
to help them get the word and spread the word that, um, you know, they're still there, they're still struggling, and um, they're going to come back stronger than ever. There are a lot of stories to tell. I, I completely agree with you. There are, are just posts after posts and stories I hear of people pivoting to, and the word has been overused so much in 2020, but the pivot to teaching, to arts, to like literally creating things on Etsy and, and yeah. things that people are doing now to make ends meet or, you know, the Tony winners that are moving back in with their parents and right. people leaving the city now sometimes for good. I think some people have straight up quit the business. Yeah. Whether they realize it or not. So I I enjoy that there is, that you are still reporting on all of this, that obviously there is a plethora of things to report on. So, yeah. yeah. So the three questions I ask everybody to wrap up every episode. The first one here is, what motivates you? What motivates me? Well, keeping with Broadway and the industry, I would have to say the industry motivates me. You know, I'm so amazed at the people and the characters that I encounter every single day. I'm inspired by them. I'm in awe of them. Um, and they motivate me to, to tell the stories that I tell. So it's the industry. You said um, something earlier that they are athletes. I've said on this podcast so many times, they're the Olympians of Broadway, of theater, the Olympians of theater, totally. just the totally. best of the best. And yes, inspiring. And I'm in awe of them eight times a week. Yeah. Second question is what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Well, um, I think I gave something earlier and that was to be kind to people. Mm -hmm. You never know who is going to rise or who is going to, you know, be your boss in years to come. So just in general, be nice. But um, the advice I would give myself is don't be so hard on yourself. You know, I used to beat myself up mentally for so many years and just thinking that, oh my gosh, things aren't going to work out. Things are going to work out. And I still, to this day, you know, I'm one of those people I worry a lot, even still, but things do end up working out. Maybe not always as you envision they're going to work out, but they work out. That's uh, what I would call a green light as classified by Matthew McConaughey. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I just read his book the other day. It's so good. Green light. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. Now, last last question. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Probably a chorus line. Why? It's a perfect musical. It has everything you want. It has like that's a score I could just listen to on repeat. I could sit there and watch the dancing. I think Michael Bennett's original choreography is brilliant. And, um, you know, it, it it's everything that I love. It's, it's a show business story. It has the ups, the downs and the in-betweens. And, um, yeah, when done right, when done with like the perfect cast, there is nothing better than a chorus line. How about you? Oh, me? Oh, goodness. Uh, you know, I've asked this question a good hundred and something, 40 something times maybe, and I still don't have a good answer. Okay, so my answer would probably, I'm stalling, have 
to be, I think, Rent. I was going to say, Rent 2. Because it's one of the first shows that I got addicted to in terms of the cast album. Yeah. And so I know everything by heart. It it was what basically gave me a... Um, uh, uh, a thought that I could do it too. Cause I, I don't know why I saw Chicago. I saw Phantom. I saw these other things and I'm like, that's really good. I, I could watch this. I could, I, you know, I connect with these people. But then after I saw Rent and heard it, for some reason, that seemed more real to me yeah. and relatable yeah. in a way that was like, I think I want to try to do that. Yeah. And I did. I did. So it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I Which, love it. I love you, it. When did you see what you saw it on Broadway? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. I traveled up. Which guest? It was the original. It was um, in college. I came up in, I think it was 99, 99 or 2000. I came up with some friends. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that original cast was spectacular. I remember sitting, it was right, um, I think it was like January after they had opened on Broadway, January of 98, maybe. And I remember my mom brought me up i was in uh i was like 14 years old my mom took me in i remember that opening number of rent and i remember like grabbing my mom like grabbing like hitting her leg and being like this is amazing we're not leaving this is so fucking cool <laughs> um like leaving I, was an option anyway yeah yeah it was it was just so great. It was so the the first thing that comes to mind the word is electric. That mm-hmm. original cast was electric, and seeing Adina sing "Take Me or Leave Me," I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> so good. I know. I know. So oh, yeah, I remember. I mean, that was a time in life too. Like my early college years. You know, that's when you're out on your own your first time. And I went to New York by myself with my friends, right? And I didn't ask my parents. I just yeah. told them I was going. You know, it's there's a whole there's a whole nostalgic. This uh, image that's painted around all of that, but love it. Love it. Where are you from originally? <laughs> North Carolina. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Uh, came up with some theater friends in my engineering school, and we just saw it. Yeah. It was. It's a whole. That's a whole different side story. Love it. So where can we find you on social media? At F Delella on Instagram and on Twitter, and Frank Delella on Facebook. Sweet. You can get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast on facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review. It helps spread the word. This has been edited by Matthew Hendershot. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and the outro music. And Frank Delella, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and happy new year. You too. You too. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.